0: picky eater at your house, you are going to love this episode. Stay tuned for On Boys with Janet Allison and Jennifer L.W. Fink after these messages from our sponsors.
1: I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option and Janet and I recently have both tried it out and you guys it is so much fun you go to their website you get to take a little quick style quiz takes five minutes and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing pictures wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today.
0: We here at OnBoys hope that you and your family are staying healthy. And we wanted to share this product with you because this is a way to use nature's superfruit, black elderberry, to keep you healthy. Sambucol helps you feel your best with powerful immune support. Supporting your immune system is one of the best things you can do for continued good health. I feel like I'm doing my body good every day by taking Sambucol. Yep, I use it. I love the gummies. I love the syrup. They have chewable tablets. They have drink powder. It's easy to incorporate into your wellness routine. Sambucol is a trusted brand and was developed by a virologist. So I know I'm getting a great product. We feel very confident recommending this product to you. Give it a try. Keep your family healthy. Build that immune capacity. We want you to stay healthy. Sambucol. Go to Sambucol usa.com. That's s a m b u c o l. usa.com, and use boys fifteen to get fifteen percent off your first order. That's sambucol. Stay healthy, dear listeners. And another way to stay healthy, I know you know this, is wearing the proper mask lcp medical has designed a mask that is comfortable easy to wear equipped with filters it is comfortable i've worn it jen's worn it we really like this mask you can breathe it's away from your nose and mouth so you can breathe more easily lcp medical is offering you a discount use the code boys22 And you'll get 22% off your order. That's lcpmedical.com. Quick reminder, too, before we get started on this epic episode about picky eaters. And in the episode, you're going to find out if Jen is a picky eater or if Janet is a picky eater. I wanted to remind you if you haven't already subscribed to the Building Boys Bulletin. This is Jen's bulletin that comes out every Monday. I've told you this is the first email that I open every single Monday and it just gets better and better. She combs the news. She curates articles and links and podcasts for you. Everything you need to know about what's happening for boys is in the Building Boys Boys Bulletin. Go to buildingboys.net and click that red subscribe button. You'll be a very well informed boy parent, and our boys need you to be. That's buildingboys.net. Click the red subscribe button. And now, Picky Eaters.
1: Picky Eaters. If you don't have one yet, you still may. And even if you don't have one in your home, you probably know one. Rebecca Toutant is a registered dietitian, a certified diabetes educator, and an author of cookbooks. She is an all-around amazing person who knows a ton about food. She's also a mom of two boys who, guess what? Are not adventurous eaters. She has two sons, ages three and five, and we thought she would be the perfect person to help us explore this topic today. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you so much for
2: having me. This, like you said, this is definitely a topic that affects so many people, at least at one point in their life. And it's not as easy as we wish it were (laughs) or as straightforward.
1: I feel like that's the whole podcast. Guess what? None of this is as easy as you thought it was, and it's not as straightforward. So we're going to dive into the messiness and we're going to be honest about it.
2: Mm -hmm. That sounds great. I love
1: it. Okay. So you are somebody I consider an all-around healthy person. You know a lot about healthy eating. I imagine when you were pregnant and having children, you had your ideas about what this was going to be like, and then you had the actual children. Uh, just briefly, tell us about your experience of feeding these children and how it's how it's gone down, and maybe this different from what you expected.
2: Oh, absolutely! And I think you know it started even before I had children. So I've been a, a dietitian for for a long time in the field, and my initial time in the field was really spent working with children with autism, and a lot of that work focused on the sensory aspects of food. So what it meant to really interact with the food. And how to really expand that sensory profile and the different the acceptance of food. So I started my career really working with people who struggled to expand their palates and really accept all foods. And so I felt confident going into parenting that I was going to do it different that somehow I was going to have gonna put control in quotes, <laughs> right? And I would just be able to make different choices and somehow they would be these really wonderful adventurous eaters. And we'd sit down at the dinner table and have such peaceful family meals. Um, and that's just not how it works, um, and, right? There's this uh, the story that we're often told of how feeding happens and it's just so natural and progressive, but, it takes a lot of effort and practice to really help children have a healthy relationship with food and how we even define what it means to have a healthy relationship with food can be quite complicated in and of
1: itself. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, mean, most mm -hmm. of us don't necessarily have a healthy relationship with food, which may sound unusual to say, but if you stop and think for a minute, we are all surrounded by so many messages about food and it gets, it's difficult to know who to listen to or what to believe. So we, like everything else in parenting, we bring our own stuff mm-hmm. that we don't even know we have. And now suddenly I've got a two-year-old who does not want anything other than, you know, name it. It could be bananas. It could be crackers. It could be whatever.
2: Right. We've got our shoulds. Right. Like we all have a case of the shoulds of what we think that we are supposed to do and how this journey is supposed to be like and feel like. And when it are, it just doesn't align with our reality that can cause a lot of discomfort and a lot of shame, but we get our own reaction to it. So even, you know, thinking about my own family, um, you know, when my boys were young and they're still young, they're three and five. I work and I work quite full time and then some. And so what it means and what it takes to really dedicate time and effort to the table when they are not naturally adventurous eaters is a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And especially as they get older, the when you have a meal time, that's really, you don't wanna have a conflict every time you sit down at the table. That doesn't feel good as an adult and for the nurturing time that that's supposed to be. And it doesn't feel good for the children either. Uh, but the good news is that we, there are ways around this. We just have to be really creative and work with the person in front of us and not get so caught up in how it's supposed to be or how our children are supposed to be and let them just be who and what they are.
0: Well, we talk about that all the time, don't we, Jen? Indeed. Parenting the child that you have and not the child that you think you have or you wish you had. And I'm so curious. I want to really get, get granular here because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking I'm a, I'm a family coach. So I work with a lot of families and picky eating is one of those issues that comes up. And so I'm curious, you know, how do you avoid that to begin with when they're little, but then also step two, okay, now I'm in it big time. How do mm-hmm. I right the ship? And also I, I try to give hope to my client, my niece ate macaroni and cheese literally for probably six years of her life. And she's now an adult woman and she's healthy and has healthy kids. So that kind of long-term, you know, they, they do grow through this stage. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Yep. Children will learn to eat right? And they will learn to eat the foods that they need. Um, But it really is so much boils down to how do we develop a confident, competent eater, Mm. right? So really, and so that, that does start early, right, as much as you can. And we have to think about eating and nutrition really more as an experience, rather than something we're just trying to check off the list. Right. You know, when our children are very young, they are trying they're exploring the world and they're trying to make sense of what's in front of them. And they're going to do that in a variety of ways. And, you know, as adults, we often get caught up in just, you know, you put food on the plate and they eat it and that's it. But for a child, it really is developing connections, right, Mm -hmm. understanding not only what this color means, but also the predict establishing that predictability of how this experience is going to be and how it's going to feel and how that becomes safe over time. Right? So the first time a child is going to encounter something like broccoli, they see it as a green blob. They have no other identification with it. They don't know where it comes from. They don't know if it's bitter, if it's sweet, if it's sour, if it's crunchy, if it's spicy, they don't know if it's safe. Right. Because kids naturally have this, what we call neophobia. They don't want to put new things into their bodies. And that's pretty gosh, darn protective. Pennies would, pennies would be a bad idea as we all know. (laughs) And yet they do that. They do that. (laughs) But in in part, they turn to us Right. They turn to us and how we are reacting and interacting with the food to understand what that means for them. If we are not interacting with the food, we can't expect them to because they're not going to have that relationship or safety with it. Um, And it takes many, many, many exposures of a food for them to be able to accept it anywhere from 10 to 20 exposures and exposures means things like not tasting right that's often where we jump to exposing could be seeing it. It can be touching it, it can be smelling it, it can be learning about it right, depending on where they are in their development, Um, it can be just play because that's what play is really all about. Um, kids learn by play. They learn by play. They learn by interacting. They don't learn by what we tell them they're supposed to do. No. And like, you mentioned the pennies, right? I think and that's one of the reasons that I, my own children really struggled with food is they don't explore the world with their mouth. They mm-hmm. never have there. And they were never the child that I needed to worry about putting anything foreign in their mouth. Whereas other kids, that is how they interact with everything, right? Like they're first yeah. to go for taste, Whereas, like my children, they would watch, they would touch, but they would watch first. They were there, and then they're still that way where the last thing that they're going to do to explore anything is to put it in their mouth because that's just
1: not the sensory thing that they're seeking. This mm-hmm. is so interesting to me because I'm finding myself having a reaction to what you're saying already. You know, mm-hmm. like you said um, that our goal should be to raise confident, competent eaters. And for so many of us as parents, I don't think I have to teach my kid to eat. Come on. Like eating (laughs) of all the things I have to teach my kid. It feels like I offer food, they eat, they live, we go on, we live our lives. And so it's like, it's like, I got to do that too. It feels a little bit that way. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm going to preface this by saying, um, I have some of my own eating issues here and, Mm -hmm. Again, I'm bringing my own stuff to this. And I've heard that 10 to 20 exposures, which always seems, not always, often seems like more than busy parents can handle, especially when a lot of us are like, I am not buying this food for you to not eat it. And so we (laughs) default to chicken nuggets or whatever it is.
2: And I think that's where we have to back up and really define what does it mean to teach our children to be confident, competent eaters. It's not lectures. It is not teaching. It's how we really shape the experience. So I'm a huge fan of Ellen Satter's work, E-L-L-Y-N. She has a model that she calls the Division of Responsibility in Feeding. And in that it's a really clear exploration of what parents are responsible for and what children are responsible for. Parents are responsible for what food is offered, where food is offered, and when. Now, this doesn't mean that you're not taking anything, your child's preferences and ideas into consideration, right? Like you're in, but it's it's creating a predictable and reliable circumstance that's nurturing the child to really expand their patterns, right? And on the other side, children are responsible for whether or not to eat and how much. So we don't come in and try to manipulate by, or coerce like, ooh, if you try that broccoli, you can then do X, Y, and Z. Or no watching TV until you da-da-da-da-da. Right. Because once we start to try to manipulate their intake, that's when things get really complicated with their relationship with the food, their relationship with their body, and how they even inter like feel some of their signals, like interoception, like whether they feel hunger, fullness, um, those types of
1: things. Janet, did you ever have an experience as a child where you were in one of those like you need to sit here until you whatever?
0: Oh my goodness. That was our family pattern was you will sit here until Mm -hmm. you eat it. I I have many memories of sitting with liver and onions on my plate (laughs) or fish and the rest of the family has cleared their plate and I'm still sitting at the table. And to this day, I thank goodness for our family dog because that Mm -hmm. was my only out because I could Mm -hmm. feed that food very carefully to the dog so that my plate was cleared. So I, I mean, I was not, of course, what we do, I was not going to do that with my own children. And fortunately I did not have picky eaters. One, one of them grew up to um, run her own bakery and they're both really good cooks, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I attribute that to, as you're talking, I attribute that to, we lived in Maine. It was really cold all winter long. And what we did when there was nothing else to do was we went in the kitchen and we cooked, and we baked, Mm -hmm. and they, and I let them, exposure, Mm exposure, I let them play with food, and make up their own recipes, and they're fabulous cooks now, they are foodies now, so I think I did the right thing. It it doesn't have to be intensive, it can be, A natural
2: part of including and this is it's hard because we live such busy lives and as parents we're always thinking about the next thing we have to do right like. it's that constant running to do list and to think about including our children, sometimes in the process can feel really overwhelming. And so we have to think about if it's not every time, maybe it's sometimes where we take them to the grocery store and let them walk around the produce section, Mm -hmm. where when we're cooking dinner, we give them their own cutting board and let them just make a mess yeah right where we we give them the freedom to explore without trying to control that exploration if you if you will you know having a garden and again it doesn't have to be a, a people are so all or nothing when it comes to some of these approaches like your garden doesn't have to be an acre in this huge harvesting thing it can be a pot with tomatoes <laughs> like mm-hmm. and it's just for the child to have like a oh that aha moment of oh this is where tomatoes come from mm-hmm. like it's not just this thing that appears on my plate like it has a whole story. And there's really good research that when we include children in even just the harvesting of food, that they are more likely to accept it. Um, so as they kind of you know develop it along, they actually, they take pride and they take ownership in that.
1: When you mentioned the division of labor between parents and kids with food and eating, so many, many, many parents struggle with that whether or not to eat it and how much part. And I know a lot of that comes out of genuine concern. You know, we want to make sure that our kids are eating enough food that they grow. And so it can be extremely concerning and uncomfortable for a parent to see a child refuse to eat, for instance.
2: Oh yeah, there's so much to unpack there. And it really depends on the child and really what is going on. Because even when we talk about things like picky eating, there's a spectrum to this, right? Picky eating is a natural and normal thing for kids to go through. But there are points, at, there can be more extreme versions of picky eating. Um, so we have things that we call problem feeding, which is where intake is even more restricted. Like they might only accept, um, there's actually a criteria to it. Um, they eat less than 20 foods in total. Right, Um, or they might eat only like five to ten, like really, really limited. And then we also have conditions um, such as ARFID, which is Avoidant Food uh, Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. Um, which is an eating disorder that can occur at any age where food intake is extremely limited and and people can be malnourished from that as well. But it's not based upon like body image or size control. It really is based upon a person's um, kind of relationship and fear of the food. Mm -hmm. Because some of these fears, they are they are not just kind of like resistance. I'm going to put that in quotes. They can be based upon past traumas as well, past experiences that they've had interacting with a certain food, a certain texture.
0: This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. Babies need to eat.
1: And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about ByHeart Baby Formula. ByHeart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk, and BiHart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula, and proved that babies on BiHeart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. BiHeart is also the only US-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider BiHeart.
0: Winona, menopause care made easy.
2: You know, I think something that people can sometimes more relate to is um, if you've ever thrown up after having a particular food, oh, yeah. sometimes you develop an aversion to that particular food. Yeah. You <laughs> and I went to
1: the same um, elementary school. We went to St. Mary's Catholic School and we had this wonderful cook named Dorothy. And anybody oh, Dorothy. who went there those years knows Dorothy. She made her food from scratch. I mean, it was mm. wonderful. But She made ham salad and somebody in my class puked And to this day, (laughs) I will not eat, try, I try not to even look at ham salad because Mm -hmm. I saw it on the floor in that hallway with whatever that stuff is, the janitor
0: sprinkled on it. Oh God, I can (laughs) smell that even as you're talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. And now we pause. Sorry listeners, sorry listeners. And I'm 50
1: (laughs) and I'm having food issues with this. So now imagine that you're three or you're
2: four, right? And you understand it, right? You can comprehend it and put those dots together. Whereas children can't necessarily, they might have a choking experience. They might have ah. an experience where they're very sick. And that develops an association for them
1: where, like I said, it's about learning to be safe. So if they and ate something. And as and a they parent, yeah. mm-hmm. I might not know that my child had this choking sensation or experience when they tried X, Y, or Z food. So what looks like something unreasonable to me has a perfectly legitimate explanation, but the child might not be able to explain that to me.
2: Yeah, and we can't talk away fear. That's that's not how it works on a biological, ba- on a neurological basis. Um, and it's not how it works on a behavioral basis, right? Like we really have to work on developing more positive experiences, and that's really done with, with the professional ideally. Right. So it's not done by you have to eat this or you don't get right, like the threats that we sometimes
1: yeah. use. So it's, so it's
2: important to be aware that there's a spectrum of this picky eating. It's not just that it can be more severe. That requires more professional attention.
1: Let's unpack that a little bit. Um, I love that you mentioned that, you know, some of this is it's developmental kids are many of them, you know, but developmentally appropriately cautious So give me, give us some, for instances of this was, it is within the range of developmentally normal picky eating. And these are some signs that perhaps you should seek some professional assistance.
2: Hmm. I mean, food jags are a good example where for a little while, and a food jag is where like a a child and adults do it too, right? Where Mm -hmm. you eat the same thing over and over and over. And suddenly you're just like, nope, done with it right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not picky eating. That's just kind of moving on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, When we're talking about things that are more problematic, it's where they burn out on a particular food where they might do a food jig, but then never, ever, ever return to it ever again, right? Mm. Where they're super resistant to it. And we also have to unpack whether or not we're offering the food because sometimes we as parents, uh, you know, once once a child says, no, we take it off the table. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, they might, We might, they might eat it again. So I often have to chat with parents like, when was the last time you offered X, Y, and Z? We have to offer it. They're not going to ask for it necessarily. Too often we rely on our children to tell us what they want. And that's why Ellen Satter's model is helpful where we have to kind of be in the drivers of what is offered while taking into consideration what they need, but also what they're interested in and what they're willing to accept.
0: Mm. Okay. So it's Mm -hmm. dinner time and some families are of the philosophy of our children will eat what we, what we prepare for the adults and they'll, they'll, they'll eat or they have to try one bite. I'm curious what your thoughts are about Mm -hmm. that. Or do we make a whole different meal for our children because we know they'll eat that. What, what do we do in the real busy world of parents and children?
2: I think that's the point. What do we do in the real world? And this is all very different by family. So I'm not going to be one to say everyone has to do it this way and this is the right way and the only way. Like this really has to be upon what's right for the family circumstance and what's right for the child as well. Um, so I think in some circumstances, like uh, the idea of this is what we eat and this is what the child eats, that can work, but it's it depends on the child. So I guess one ex- in uh, one example I'll give is uh, often when I work for, with um, parents from other countries, picky eating isn't necessarily a problem because there isn't a toddler food market. We're one of the few countries that mm-hmm. sells toddler-specific food. In other countries, the children eat what the adults eat. It might be mashed up a little bit more sometimes, right? It might be changed with the spices a little bit, but there's not that separation. So we, in part, sometimes create some of these things by by the... Um, by using that market, Mm -hmm, if you will. mm -hmm. Um, So depending upon where your child is at, like if your child is very young and they're just learning to eat, they can eat what's at the table, right? You know, it's learning what's developmentally appropriate, what they're capable and can safely handle. It doesn't have to be something that's separate. Um, If your child is older and you've kind of already established this pattern that things are modified, um, you know, there are ways where you can kind of gradually bring them back into the circle in a safe and nurturing way. Um, one is to make sure that there is something at the meal that they feel confident and they feel mm-hmm. safe with. It doesn't have to be the entire meal, but making sure that at least one piece of it is something that they are willing to do. And if you have multiple eaters, it can be making sure that there's, you know, things that cater to, to
1: different people. was one that sides. I tried to do. You know, as you know, I have four kids, frankly, in any family of, you know, five or six people, the odds of everybody liking all the same food, slim to none but mm-hmm. to have at least something there that everybody will eat some of. And I, you know, Janet, sometimes I would often default to like, you can eat some of what's here. And if you're still hungry, make yourself a PB and J like yeah. yep. go do it yourself. And yeah. I'll be honest, this happened last night at my <laughs> house, my youngest uh, turned 16. I said, you get to pick what you want to do for a birthday dinner. He picked jambalaya, hmm. um, which Uh, Rebecca, you know, it's not like we're uh, Cajun, we're not from the South, we don't have a family history of that, but we did make it for a fifth grade project when they were learning about the states and jambalaya became a food in our family. Um, The 18 year old doesn't like it. He made himself a PB&J. The 16-year-old's girlfriend came over. She'd never had jambalaya before. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I just put a little bit on her plate. I'm like, you can try it. If you don't like it, that's fine. She's like, well, what's in it? I'm like, well, there's rice. There's some, like, there's the carrot. There's a little bit of chicken. Just try a little bit of chicken. I knew she liked chicken. So it's interesting how, like, I have older kids and I was using some of these tips last night. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Because it's still, and I, I love that example because too often we say, oh, we shouldn't be letting them have something else, right. We get caught yeah. in that narrative that this mm-hmm. utopia is where everyone is eating the exact same food and is happy. And I think there's it's perfectly reasonable to have you know, what we call backup meals. Um, but it, it's really important that number one, it's not creating stress at the table. And so maybe that means that, like you said, Jen, like that they're preparing it themselves. It's something yeah. easy, but, but also maybe you're still in charge of what is offered if they're, especially if they're at a younger age, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. yeah, like if, if you give them the option of like eating cheesy doodles instead of dinner, of course, <laughs> I'm taking cheesy doodles. Right. So it's still kind I'm of I'm going to do that some nights. <laughs> So it's kind of, it's not, it's take like, you're still in charge as a parent of what is offered while taking into consideration what they need and, and want. Um, So maybe backup meals are part of it. Maybe it's, but you still eat together. So they see the food. They're having the experience Ah. with the food. They see you interacting with it. It's not, okay, I'm going to make your backup meal first. You eat, mom and dad are going to eat, or your parents are going to eat later, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So it's it's still creating the environment where we're together, we're nurturing, we're talking, and food isn't the fixation. I think, Janet, to what you said, that one bite rule, I don't encourage it because it doesn't, um and i I understand why we want to do it we're nervous we're anxious we want to see something happen Mm -hmm. like please like just do something so i know there's progress
0: for my own heart well (laughs) and you think oh if they have that one bite they're really gonna like it so we gotta make them have that one bite but it feels very um stressful on both parties, Mm yes,
2: right? And when we really think about what's even happening in the brain in a stressful circumstance. So if a child is gonna eat something that they are scared of, that they're unfamiliar with, right? That's a stress situation, that's a stressor. And that can trigger that fight or flight response, right? So that means that their prefrontal cortex is going offline and they're just reacting. They're not experiencing, they're not learning. All Uh, they're experiencing is the fear. So it's less likely that this situation is gonna stick long-term so right? they and might
1: get through it like might they might be it. able to swallow this but the odds of them having a good experience with this food is way Lower. down yeah. and they'll be happy if they made
2: you happy right children want to please that yeah. is at the
1: basis there.
2: and so they they are going to try to do things to make people in their life happy right even if it and so we always have to be thoughtful of that and so if we're really trying to encourage them to explore and to be confident. It's it's kind of having those less pressured experiences, because then we can also get into manipulation, right? Where sometimes people are offering um, money right or they're offering dessert mm-hmm. and it becomes this power struggle of well if i take one bite what do i get what do i get if i take two
1: bites what do i get if i Oh i have overheard oh, that yeah. conversation yeah. with families yeah. i'm sure you have too janet well right. and
0: it's guilt inducing too so my dad was a, was a fisherman and not very successful fisherman but he would come home with a little trout or a little bass or something. And, you know, he's like caught this fish and Mm -hmm. I can remember, I mean, like to this day, I can remember, you know, Oh, it tastes like chicken, right? No, it it does not taste like fish, but he's, (laughs) he's like, I have to eat it. He keeps encouraging me to eat the fish and I can't like, it's gag. I cannot, I can't stand the smell. I don't like how it looks. I it's awful. And to, I mean, literally I was probably mm, mid fifties before I could even explore, before I could even say, okay, I'll try. that's the danger right because if
2: it creates a negative experience
1: Mm -hmm. it's
2: not that we you were you know it 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 lasts it lingers Mm -hmm. right and i can sense like the shame like you said that you feel around it and like that can often prevent children from even wanting to try Mm -hmm. because they know i'm just gonna let my parent down so why try Mm -hmm. right or i know i'm like they don't feel like there's an out they don't feel like there's a win You know, with my own son, like he is, he's particular about his food and he really has a sensory challenge, like it's not challenges, but he's very in touch with the sensations in his mouth. And so for him to try new foods is scary. Children will naturally want to try foods often as their circumstances change, right? Like one that we'll often hear is, well, I need to learn to eat this food when I'm going to school, right? I need to learn to eat. I heard one story of, you know, a child who was really motivated to expand what he ate because he wanted to date right? And he knew that if he was going to go on a date, he needed to be able to order something off the menu. So he was ready to do it. Uh, My own child was really excited to do it because he was seeing other people trying things. Mm -hmm. And so like we created, we did, did a lot of things where one, I taught him how, what a safe out might be. Cause at first he was taking a big bite of food and he was getting really scared by the texture. So I was like, Like back up, like take a nibble. That's all you need, right? Like, let's just get used to the first experience of the taste. Let's not get overwhelmed with the taste and the texture and the feeling in your mouth. Uh
1: And then I also
2: helped him understand, like, we have an out if it feels uncomfortable, if you feel scared, here's how we can properly dispose of it, right? If you're really feeling unsure, and we, you know, you know, don't gag on the table, please, because <laughs> we don't need to relive Jen's experience, right? Like, <laughs> how to use a napkin and like properly and discreetly expose of it, how to use, water to shift the taste or how to use a different flavor to kind of wash it away and we started tracking what he ate just with we draw on a chart and he was so excited and he still is every time he gets to add a food to the chart just because he's seeing progress he, uh, yeah we're happy and we congratulate him and we're excited but there's no like you must
1: try this it's just like hey here's the thing you want to try it? we can put it on the chart that would be really exciting and cool so and here's he- where i confess that um I'm almost 50 and I still have some weird food stuff. And um, my husband will be the first to tell you. My kids will be the second to tell you. I'm a grown adult and I don't like and will not eat most fruits. I just won't. Mm -hmm. I won't. I don't know if I, my mom will say to this day, she thinks I had a weird experience with the texture because I ate it all as baby food, but then whatever. I'm listening to you talk about this. You don't have to take a big bite. You can just take a little tiny taste. I'm like, Hey, I could use that.
2: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because this food stuff is not just about kids. This also affects all ages. We and, all have our own experiences and things that we don't want to try because we don't even like the idea of it, right? The idea that something feels depriving, right? How something has been positioned in our brain and how we develop a relationship with it and what it kind of becomes to mean.
1: Like it's, it's complicated. It's really that's one not a thing. Mm-hmm. I hope our listeners are hearing, you know, we started this podcast and we're still, we're focused on, you know, you and your boys and, and the children in your life. But as we've been having this conversation, well, Janet's got some issues and I've got some issues and I'm sure you have some issues as well. Like Mm -hmm. this is normal. It is totally normal for humans of all ages to have distinct preferences for food, to have food hesitations, to have fears. Mm -hmm. Normal.
2: And we live in a world that tells us it's not supposed to be right we are over over is what I heard on uh, someone else Virginia soul Smith who really talked about it where. Like we know too much, we are so bombarded with something you mentioned earlier about I want to make sure my children has has enough and the right things that we get so distracted like our body doesn't care we were developed based our body doesn't know 24 hours for example it knows averages right so it doesn't matter if your food is perfect in a given meal or a given day mm-hmm. what matters is how things are over time yes and our and our body is not it doesn't care whether it gets its carbohydrate from fruit or whether it gets its carbohydrate from pasta. Like, yeah, there's other things that kind of come with both of those different packages. But at the end of the day, our body doesn't see the morality of food. doesn't see this good or bad that we've applied to it. It sees nourishment and they're all food provides something to support our body. But like even my kids getting really caught up and he hears things on TV, he hears things just overhearing, other adults in his life about like, he mentioned other, the other day, he was talking about candy and how there's nothing good in candy. And I was like, well, it actually gives you energy. Like that's what we use when we run. Like if we didn't have that glucose and I use some of the technical terms, I'm like, I need that. And that's a very valuable thing. It's not empty. It's not bad. It's just different. And we can put different things together in so many different ways. There's endless combinations. I mean, my favorite example is, do you know how many ways you can make change for a dollar? A lot. (laughs) Over 250. Whoa. And that's just using a few monetary things. Now consider the number of foods we have in the world and the number of nutrients. Like Mm. there's endless ways to make combinations to to be nourished.
1: Um, All right. We like to keep things real here. So... (laughs) I want to hear, as we're going, I want to hear about dinner last night with your family. There was some screaming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> remember, listeners, three and five-year-olds, here we go. Oh, well, my three-year-old is
2: in that stage. Uh, um, yeah, I think, what was, like can I remember last night um it was chaotic and we didn't eat together last night right some days we are able to get and that's one of the biggest challenges of working is like we weren't it's really hard for us to sit down at the exact same time to eat because my kids need to eat right away and i still have to transition from work and cook and get everything like it doesn't doesn't always wrap up the way you want it to be um so my my kids sat down and they i believe they had some veggie chicken nuggets and some apples and um some pretzels and the youngest the 3-year-old did not want to eat he's rarely hungry in the evening he's hungry right after school that's his appetite time yeah. and so that's the time where i will give him like so okay but he still sat with us at the table he talked he played he got in trouble right all those <laughs> <fun> things <laughs> but he didn't want to eat um i served dessert with the meal Um, because it's something, otherwise it becomes a battle of when do I get dessert? I want dessert now. How much do I have to eat? So we don't do that battle. So, and there is in no world, are they going to eat so much dessert that they're not eating their dinner? If they were hungry, they would eat, they would eat their dinner. Um, so they get it together. Um, and then a little bit later, my husband and I had, I think I made, I make a, um, a really high protein, like, um, Mac
0: and cheese, um, baked mac and cheese, which is delicious and in my cookbook. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. You know, I want to just pull out one point here because you said it. Your three year old is hungriest after school. You know, we get into this again, this it's got to be this way mindset. Good. We've mm-hmm. got to sit down and eat all at the same time. Well, guess what? Your three year old is probably not hungry at the same time you are as an mm-hmm. adult. So taking that into account also of when, as, as you said, you know, there isn't a clock on their stomachs and when they need to eat. So loosening up on that a little bit can ease some stress. And I think too, you know, it's like, it's the long game. It's go, you will grow through this. mm -hmm. They will grow through this. They will be generally fine over time.
2: I thought, that's what I always emphasize when I'm chatting with people is that when it comes to nutrition for kids we have we have two focuses. One is the short game, right? We're really thinking about are they getting the amount of nutrients that they need and are they getting a variety and especially of the core things that we're most concerned about for growth and development. If they're getting enough and they're getting a variety, that's great. The long game is the relationship. The long game are the exposures. Like we get so caught up in whether or not our children are eating vegetables we forget that we can get almost every single nutrient that's in vegetables in other things right like vegetables are not the only thing that provide those nutrients. So your children, your children child is not harmed by eating vegetables and I have actually seen cases where they're only feeding their child vegetables and that's really affecting growth because they're not getting enough energy mm-hmm. right so it's not that again it's that morality part so the short game is making sure they have enough and sometimes it's helpful to work with someone to really look at the averages over time because some days you're hungry some days you're not it kind of Mm -hmm. if we're listening to our signals we're going to eat different different days um, and then that long game is how do we develop the relationship that the confident, competent eater that, I know, you know, I, I love this quote when, you know, when we really think about our, our big goal, it is really not to have a child who eats everything we serve. I mean, like you said, none of us eat everything that's served. We have preferences and that's okay, but we really wanna have a person who can navigate those really weird waters of what am I hungry for? What do I need? And is that different from the messages that I'm getting, whether it's the messages from society, the internal messages, right? To be able to decode like your own experience from those pressures that we're hearing everywhere else. That's a confident, competent eater.
1: That's a big picture, confident, competent human when you can Mm -hmm. begin to differentiate what you need from all the noise in society. Like that is a big goal for my children in general. And I'm still working on it for myself Mm -hmm. as a human.
0: Mm -hmm. And you have a cookbook to guide us.
2: I have a couple cookbooks out. One is a cookbook for those who are newly diagnosed with celiac disease. So really exploring kind of those first weeks and transition into that lifestyle and what's kind of all involved. Um, And then the other cookbook I have is a meal prep cookbook for runners. Um, so I also really love to run eating definitely goes along with that to nourish your runs and to make sure that they're supported. Um, so it goes through, you know, what it takes to run
1: different distances in a, in a nourished way. Here's the thing, listeners, I am not a runner and I have zero intention of becoming (laughs) a runner. There are 14 other kinds of physical activity that I enjoy more than running. And I'm going to stick with that for now but Mm -hmm. I bought a copy of that cookbook because she was sharing some of the recipes online. I'm like, Ooh, that sounds yummy. That sounds yummy. Just yesterday, I pulled your cookbook out before I went to the grocery store and I purchased some sweet potatoes because I'm going to try some of the recipes in there because they just sound so like yummy and easy. So even if you're not a runner, uh, you might want to check out the, the recipe book. Oh, there's I agree. There's really, you know, too often we think like you have to eat a certain way for a
2: certain thing, right? But it's really, it's all food at the end of the day. And I, you know, the recipes I chose were really just they're balanced. They have all of the nutrients that you need. They're relatively quick and easy. Um, I don't like to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. It's it's I, I like to eat good food, but I certainly don't want to live in the kitchen.
1: Okay. You need um, to tell people where they can follow you online because it's- <laughs> Um, she does not like to spend a lot of time in the kitchen and sometimes she will put up really hilarious and entertaining videos of herself and the kids in the kitchen, trying to get a meal ready. And you're just going to feel better about your own <laughs> lives. Where
0: yeah. can we follow you
1: online? Sure. I'm on uh, Facebook and
2: Instagram at nourishing bits and bites. And I have a website at uh, nourishingbitsandbites.com.
1: So I'm going to put all of these links in the show notes for you. As you probably picked up, there's a lot to this conversation, Mm -hmm. picky eating, feeding, nutrition, lots and lots to unpack. And we have just scratched the surface here. Um, Rebecca is like my go-to person for these things. You are a trusted (laughs) source of information. And I hope other people will tap into that expertise as well.
2: Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much
0: for having me. Thank Thank you. Can we just end this conversation with a little personal touch? Because I love this story.
1: All right. So what Janet is getting at here is that I have known Rebecca, who I've been trying so hard not to call Becky through this podcast <laughs> for a very long time. I actually babysat for her when she was a baby and a small child. And Which then it happened. No, that not... way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it did. I can describe the inside of your growing up
0: house. <laughs> How, how did she eat, Jen? <laughs> you know,
1: I don't remember that at all. So here's the thing. In the long run, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Also, right? I was the babysitter. I didn't really care about how she ate. <laughs> I mean, I just had to keep her alive until the end of the night. Um, and then later I moved back to my hometown uh, when at that point in time we had one and a half one and three quarters child i was pregnant with my second one and um later on becky babysat for my children
2: mm-hmm. and they were and so well behaved they're so i had late. all four of them at that point you did. Right? you did yeah the youngest one was he was a baby yeah because i was changing I papers oh so.
1: mm-hmm. yeah well he got his driver's license today so now you feel <laughs> old just like i feel old having this conversation <laughs>
0: Oh, listeners! I love it. This is great. The circle, the circle of life, right? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank All you right. so much. This was a fabulous conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of On Boys. Jennifer and I appreciate you being our listeners, sharing this podcast with others, and supporting our sponsors. We hope you are staying healthy and sambookalusa.com with the power of black elderberry the great addition to your family's wellness routine use the discount code boys 15 to take 15 percent off and masks well they're going to be a part of our lives for quite some time you should have the best lcp medical Use the coupon code BOYS22 for 22% off at checkout. And Building Boys Bulletin, Jen does an outstanding job of curating this content for you each and every week. Subscribe at buildingboys.net. Thank you again. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, co-hosts of On Boys.